All right, as you are kind of making your way back to, there's a little echo on the back end of the thing. All right, as you're kind of getting situated and sitting down, uh, uh, for those of you, well, let me, I'm looking around the room. Okay, everyone's pretty much been here off and on enough to know that we are still in this uh, series on Revelation, and... As we are continuing this series, normally what I would have you do is kind of tap dance until she gets this. There you go. That's good. Is that good? Sound-wise? Good? Okay. All right. All right. Normally what I would have you do is open up to the book of Revelation and we'd start digging in. But unfortunately, um, or fortunately, um, we're going to have to start somewhere else because there's, when we're looking through the book of Revelation, some of you already have a pre-existing uh, uh, kind of knowledge of what's in that book. You've read it before. You've heard people preach on it before. Uh, you have information about it already, which is great. But as we've been reading through it, you may have noticed uh, that a lot of details about stuff you're already aware of is kind of missing, stuff we haven't covered on yet, stuff we haven't touched on. And although it is a complete book, there's a lot of information in there that we get from other places in the Bible. Uh, there's not a specific timeline that's laid out in Revelation that you can follow. If you start in chapter 1 and go to chapter 22, you don't get this perfect timeline because the things that are exposed in heaven are kind of happening all over and the things that are down on the earth are kind of following sequentially. Uh, And as you look at certain things, a lot of things are not necessarily interpreted, uh, which is why some people, they read the book and they walk away saying, well, this is just imagery and symbolism. It can't be true. But if you look at the entirety of Scripture you can get a lot of detail in the book of Revelation that's not necessarily listed in the book of Revelation. Uh, Let me show you what I mean. Uh, Open up your Bibles, if you have one, under your seat somewhere. If you don't, raise your hand and we will get one to you. uh, Under a seat, front, left, right, or back of you. Uh, Open up to the book of Daniel, chapter 7. It's in the Old Testament. And as you are about to see, there's a lot of detail in the book of Daniel uh, that provides a lot of the backdrop, well, backdrop. It's a future book, but uh, you get where I'm going. A lot of the backdrop for information that's in the book of um, Revelation. So, in the book of Daniel, chapter 7. There we go. Book of Daniel, chapter 7. And and if for those of you that don't know, the book of Daniel uh, goes over a good, almost 60, 70 year time span. Okay? During that time span, Daniel has the whether you call it pleasure or not, uh, opportunity uh, to minister uh, to the people of Israel that are in captivity during several different rulers, several different administrations. If you think of someone who serves several different presidents, one may be a Republican, one may be a Democrat, one may be, you know, whatever else, and someone who works under each of those administrations, Daniel has the privilege of serving under several administrations. But turn to uh, Daniel chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse 7. And this is a time where Daniel is given a vision um, by God, and he sees, well, let me read it. Daniel chapter 7, after that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast. Now, he had already had a vision of three different beasts. Uh, I'm not going to focus on those this morning, but he's focusing on the fourth one. Terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. 
While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one which came up among them. And three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Now, well, let me finish this, and then I'll explain. His clothing was as white as snow. His hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming like fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated. And the books were open. And this is kind of, we've already walked through this imagery. We've, we talked about it in Revelation. But look at verse 11. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now, he describes some imagery that we're about to read in Revelation 13. He describes uh, three beasts... And then he describes this fourth beast uh, with these teeth and these horns. And as he's watching this beast out of these horns, he sees another horn rise up. And he's, he's all this imagery he's given. Okay? Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to read on, and I know it sounds like I'm reading a lot to you guys, but I need you guys to, because this is, a, this is, this is you're going to see where this ties in. Drop down to verse 15. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the true meaning of all this. The one of those were angelic beings that God had sent to Daniel to give him this revelation. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kingdoms that will rise from the earth. But the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Now, here's the thing. He says the four great beasts are four kingdoms. Four different kingdoms that will rise from the earth. He gives an exact interpretation of what those four beasts are. So we don't have to wonder, could they be this? Could they be that? He gets a specific information on what they are. But drop down now to um, verse 23. Because he then asked more information about the fourth beast. And in verse 23, he gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on the earth. So at Daniel's time, this kingdom was not yet present, okay? Fourth beast, it was a fourth kingdom that will appear on the earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns, he gives an explanation of what these are as well, are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones, he will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his saints and try to change the set times and laws. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a times, three and a half years. But the court will sit and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints 
which reiterates what Jesus told to those who overcome, I will give you the right and the authority to rule and reign with me forever. It will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts. My face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. All of that, here's what I want to show you. And here's what I want to explain to you guys. Because we're about to read this in Revelation. But in Revelation, it doesn't give you this background detail on what all of this imagery is. It explains this imagery. And what Daniel has seen is four kingdoms. And the kingdoms that he has seen are four world-dominating kingdoms. Not like Monaco, which is like about the size of this room with a couple of roulette tables. Actually, it's bigger. I don't want to... Sorry, I take that back. Let me me rephrase that. I don't want to offend anybody. It's a decent-sized nation, but it's not like a world-dominating kingdom, okay? And he describes, in, in, and we've been talking about it, but in this timeline, what happens is there are these ten kingdoms, or ten kings, that people believe today are this ten-nation confederacy that's going to arise, and when they arise, out of them is going to come what we know as, you know, the kingdom or the rulership of the beast who we call the Antichrist. And then as they rule and reign and lead people through peace into peace, then everyone's going to follow them during this first three and a half year period where we looked at and we see that a quarter of the the people on the planet die and and the seas are turned bitter or poisonous or radioactive, however that occurs. And all of these astronomical things are happening and asteroids are hitting the earth and our atmosphere and our climate has been compromised and our food supply is compromised and decreasing and locusts and are, are tearing up uh, I think it was one third of the grass and the trees so it's more difficult to breathe because we need trees they work that whole oxygen thing and uh, all the wheat everything we plant all the all you guys that have how many of you guys have gardens grown lots of tomatoes and I see all the zucchinis in the back gone because the locusts are going to eat up one third of that and during all this time this ruler is going to be in power trying to lead and offer people peace. Now, here's the thing, and let me show you this really quickly. There have been three, at the time, at the time that Daniel writes this, there were three world-dominating powers, okay? There were two prior to that. The Egyptians were a world-dominating power in their day, not so much today. I mean, they were a world-dominating power. Like, they ruled a great portion of the known world in their time. The Babylonians, if you read through the previous chapters, God specifically tells, and if you read through Jeremiah and through Isaiah and Ezekiel, God specifically says, I raised up Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians as a world-dominating power to be my tool, my resource to discipline nations. They were a world-dominating power. But at the time of this writing, the next world-dominating powers, he says there are going to be four. The first three was the Medo-Persian Empire, uh, the second one was the Grecian Empire, and the last one was the Romans, all the way if you take the Romans and the Byzantine Empire when they kind of split and add all that in. Uh, these were the next three world-dominating um, empires, so to speak. The fourth is going to be what he just described, these ten kings, out of which comes another king, the Antichrist. And he subdues three of those, And as he subdues those three, they fall in line with him, and he creates this world-dominating kingdom. Now, many people will look around today, and I know previously they said, oh, well, you know what, uh, was it the European Union? That was going to be the the, the ten dominating kings, but there's more than ten nations there. 
Then they said, well, maybe it's the, what's it called, the Arab Emirates or, or Emirates or however that's pronounced. That, that Here's the thing. We don't know what it's going to be comprised of. But if you have to question it and say, well, is it really going to happen? Here's, 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 here's why I say that we should believe it, okay? Um, first reason is because God says so. God says this is going to happen. And whether we can look and see, yes, I see, that's one, two, three, and how it's going to happen or not, not so much. Uh, so far, the things that God has said are going to occur have occurred with astounding action. Here's a second reason why I should think we should believe it, because Daniel says so. And if you look at the other things that Daniel prophesied, they came true with such accuracy not only did he describe in detail the future nations that would arise hundreds of years later, but he described the people that would come into power, how those nations would go out of power, who would rule what nations after that, even to say which ruler would marry which wife. And it was so astounding was his accuracy that the only thing that people could say to say that, well, you know, that's not biblical the only response, you can't, I mean, this is historical, not biblical. It's in the Bible, but it's also historical. You can go Google this and check it out. And the only thing that people could say in order to say, well, that's not really, you know, the Bible's not true, is to say, well, he had to write it after the fact. Even though there's historical documentation that shows when he existed, when these things occurred, they said, well, that can't be right. He had to write it after the fact because there's no other way that he could have been so accurate I mean, extremely alarming detail, so accurate into what he was prophesying about. Sure he can. That's how God rolls. That's who God is. So now that we have a better understanding of, of these ten kingdoms, and we're going to see, turn back to the book of Revelation, chapter 13. And you're going to see why I took you through this little kind of like mini history lesson and jump back into the Old Testament. Because in the book of Revelation, chapter 13, we see a lot of the imagery, everything that uh, we just read, kind of comes to fruition. So in verse 1, here's the thing. And the dragon stood on the shore. If you remember last week, we were talking about the dragon, and it showed the imagery and the battle in heaven, and he was kicked out. And God cut off his access to heaven. And now it says, it starts verse th uh, chapter 13, and the dragon stood on the shore. It doesn't just say that as like a, a basic parenthetical statement, just so you know where he was. It says it more of an indication because everything that we're about to read, the dragon is Satan. We talked about that last week. Everything that you're about to read is issued in or occurs because of Satan. Now, obviously, God is sovereign, right? No one, nothing is more sovereign than God. So even though Satan is doing this, God is allowing it for God's own purpose. But in drop down to verse 2, or actually let me read the rest of verse 1. And a dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on his horns. And on each had a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. So anyone who, who, who's wondering, you know, is this just perhaps just a great leader or a great person coming to power, 
God makes it clear that he's coming to power under the authority of Satan. Verse 3, one of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast and asked, who is like the beast, who can make war against him? So what we see today is there's this mild undertone of satanic, demonic worship, where people worship, you know, astrology, they worship demons, they worship all of this kind of stuff. It's not going to be this undertone. It's going to be at the forefront where people just rise up, and as publicly as you and I and, and these places of worship that worship Jesus Christ, there's going to be all these places that just worship Satan and worship his minion, the beast. Verse 5, the beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months, which is three and a half years, just like we read in Daniel. And the be- uh, sorry, for 42 months, verse 6, he opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. Verse 7, he was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. Verse 8, all inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life, belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. Now here, God makes it pretty clear. This is the exact parallel to what we read in Daniel. And anyone who isn't worshiping God, anyone who isn't following God, anyone who isn't seeking after God, is going to worship Satan, follow after Satan, and seek Satan. Now, for those of you who are saying, well, is it going to be one or the other? What about that gray area in between? This, this is speaking to the very fact that in every one of our hearts, in every one of our hearts, there's a desire to know truth. There's a desire to seek the truth. But there's also a desire to worship. There's also a desire to know that there is something bigger or greater than ourselves. And when you're given the truth, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Most people who are seeking to know truth will acknowledge, okay, yeah, you know what? I do need Jesus Christ in my life. Maybe I'm not living the way I'm supposed to. But the other people, when you're given an alternative, wow, you mean I can still keep doing the things that I was doing? The things that God was saying that he wanted people to turn away from? The murders, the lies, the theft, the, 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 the manipulation of people, the hatred of our brothers because of race or creed or color, I can still keep doing that and worship the beast? Boom, I'd rather be there. And you're going to see the reality of what's in people's hearts. Because some will turn and say, yeah, you know what, I acknowledge, I need, I need Jesus Christ. And some are going to say, but I'll take this over acknowledging the truth any day. And you're going to see demonic and Satan-type worship on a scale like you've never seen before. Now, here's the problem that we have. What we just read in Daniel and what we just read in Revelation, it's pretty clear. I mean, Daniel reads plain English, you know. It says, here's what the kingdoms are. Here's what the horns are. Here's what's going to happen. You read in Revelation, here's what the kingdoms, here are the horns. It's happening. But there is a disconnect between the word of God and the 
people in our culture today. And a lot of it is because we don't communicate the truth of God's word. I say we, the church. In our Sunday morning sessions, in our Bible studies, in our small group. I had, I had someone the other day, and this is interesting. They were, they, someone gave me an article, actually, about, uh, they were talking about how churches are trying to be more relational and reach out to people and have coffee and breakfast and all that kind of stuff. That's fine. That's biblical. I told you, food and fellowship throughout the Bible. Don't have a problem with that. If it stops there, then that's not the church. If it stops with a coffee and a meal, and then all I do, or whoever's preaching or teaching, stands up here and tells you, you should feel good, you should love one another, without giving you the truth of the fact that we really can't love one another because we don't know what love is until we've experienced the love of Jesus Christ. If we're not giving the truth of God's word, if we're not giving the fact and letting people know the fact that, you know what, uh, it's great that we, we can all come together and have a VBS carnival. It's great that we can all come together and we can help people in our community. But if we're not saying that the reason that we're doing that is to share and to show the love of Christ, then we're not really being the church. And there's nothing wrong with being a charity that goes out and helps people unless God is calling you to be a church that reflects his presence on the earth. And the disconnect comes because, again, churches aren't preaching the Bible. They're not teaching the word of God. Here's the reality. Uh, in your families, some of you who grew up in a church, you probably, I know when I was going to church as a kid, honestly, bored me to death because that's all they did. Literally read me scripture from the Bible. I'm like, I've learned to read. I can do that at home. Now we've gone the exact opposite where we talk about everything but the Bible. And what we have is we have a generation of people that don't know that God exists. They don't know that God is real. They don't know that God loves them. And they're out there struggling on their own. And you can just turn on the news and see what the result is, the impact on the world. And here's, here's, here's if you hear nothing else this morning, let me give this charge and this challenge to you. Do not let your children grow up without knowing that there is a very real God and I know a lot of this seems, uh, you know, super spiritual, but we serve a spiritual God. Don't let your children grow up without knowing there's a very real God who answers prayer, who heals people, and who is alive and present in the earth today. If you do, then you are contributing to the people that are going to say, really, I can follow Satan and continue to be in the life of sin that I am in? If we fail to communicate that to the next generation, then we are contributing to those who will be following after Satan and are doomed to an eternity without Christ. I'm going to move on because I don't want to like sound like I'm kind of beating people over their head. All right, but um, drop down to verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And he performed great miracle signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. There is going to be what we have come to call this, this false prophet. 
who basically is given a little bit of power and authority, and his role is to get people to worship the beast. And there's going to be all these miracles that they do. He's going to call down fire from heaven. It even said that the, the, the beast, the Antichrist, will receive a fatal wound and then be healed. Some people say that it will literally be the personage, the beast, the Antichrist, whoever that person is, will be wounded. And there's other scripture to support that. And then will come back, wounded to the point where they die. And then several days later will come back to life, which will even more so inspire people to say, this is the one true God and start worshiping him, when in reality they will be, as it says, being deceived into worshiping Satan. Some people say that it's not the physical man, the Antichrist, that will be wounded, but it is that kingdom that he rules will be severely wounded. But then it will come back into power again after a period of time. I don't know which one is going to happen, and I'm praying that I'm not here when it does. I'm just letting you know that in one of those ways, something will occur. Either that kingdom or that individual will be wounded, incapacitated to the point of death, but then sometime later come back and rule and reign again, and people will begin, instead of following God, will start following Satan. Now, uh, turn to uh, chapter 14. In verse 1, it says, Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And we have talked about uh, who these guys were before in previous chapters. Verse 2, And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of a harpist playing their harps. And they sang a new song, before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure. They followed the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among men and offered as firstfruits to God and the lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. Now, here's the thing. These are the people that we had talked about before, 144,000. 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. 12 times 12. Yeah, 144,000. 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. And they come out and they begin to, they are, they are pretty much, this is the God's response to all the satanic things that are going on. And God ignites a fire in them and they continue to go out and preach God's word. Now, here's the thing. God gives us amazing, amazing, amazing flexibility. He gives us the freedom to follow him. He gives us the freedom to choose not to. He gives us the freedom to say, okay, you know what, I, maybe I messed that up, and, and, and to come back and get right with him. But each and every time, if you look through Scripture, when God reaches out to humanity as a whole, he does it through humanity. When God reached out, if you think how many of you know his ark, the big ark and the boat and all that stuff, he could have done any amazing amount of things. And we talked about the fact that God preserves a remnant in the righteous, but he used Noah to preserve a remnant in the righteous. When we talked about the, uh, the northern kingdom of, of Israel that was fallen and God decimated everyone, he preserved a remnant, and he used the Assyrians to preserve the remnant. When the southern kingdom fell, he used Nebuchadnezzar to bring and preserve a remnant of Israel until they were ready to go back. And the Bible talks about the fact that uh, several hundred years before all of that happened, the king of the Medo-Persian Empire named Cyrus 
God wrote in the Bible his name, saying, I will use him to restore my people. Now, this particular part is not in the Bible, but if you talk and read through Jewish writings, it says that at the time that Cyrus came to power, that some of the priests came up and showed Cyrus his name written in their scriptures and showed him that it was written several hundred years before and that he actually became a follower of God. I don't know if that's true, but we do know and read where he showed amazing, extremely amazing favor and grace to the people of Israel because of the God they follow. That's in Scripture. Whenever God reaches out to humanity, it is usually through humanity, even to the point he could have done anything to save us, but he sent, and the Bible tells us Jesus Christ became a man. And it's one thing, I don't know about you guys, it's one thing if, if, if he had stayed as this awesome God up in heaven, but I know for a fact that I would have been able to say, you know what, God, you don't know my troubles. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what it's like to be hurt by family or friends. You don't know what it's like to have to try to struggle to make ends meet. And I would have a list a mile long of reasons why I can walk away from him and reject him. But when he clothed himself and became a man, he was rejected by his family. His friends betrayed him. He had people who he thought would support him, who left him in his hour of need. The Bible says he had nowhere to lay his head. I can't think of another way to make God more real than for God to come down and go through what we have to go through. And when we read about these 144,000 Jews, it's not like we're reading about, you know, God, again, we're about to read about God sending angels flying through the air to preach the gospel. And it's one thing to say, I don't know what to do with that. But when you see another person who's walking in your shoes, going through life just like you, saying, yeah, I believe in God, it makes the gospel a lot more real. But drop down to the next verse quickly, and I'm going to uh, wrap this up. Drop down to verse 6. It says, Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. And I often get this, and I don't know if you've ever heard it. Anyone ever hear that question? Well, what about those people living in, you know, under a tree, back behind the jungle, over the cave, below the sea, third rock to the left? How are they going to get the gospel? Because they're not going to hear it. They probably do have internet. I don't know. How are they going to hear it? And here God gives an answer. Every, and this is, this is, again, this is why it's very clear. Every nation, every tribe, every language, every people, places we can't get a missionary to, God sends an angelic being to, to preach and proclaim the gospel. No one, when the time comes and you have to stand before God and be judged, will be able to say, I didn't know. I didn't hear. You may not have heard Floyd. You may not have heard um, anyone in this room. You may not have heard, you know, um, someone on the radio or on TV. But God makes it clear that he is going to use every means possible so that everyone can hear the gospel. A second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Then drop down to verse 9. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image, and receives his mark on the forehead or on the hand, 
he too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath, who will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There is no rest, day or night, for those who worship the beast and his image, or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. Now, this is important, and I'm going I'm to wind down with this. This is important. God makes it pretty clear, okay, that he's going to go through every means possible to try those who are left on the earth try to make it pretty clear who he is, his intent, and his love for them. But for anyone who does not, and I've heard people say this, well, I'm going to wait because I don't believe there's a hell, and I don't believe that God would, you know, send me to hell. He makes it pretty clear. The Bible is very specific. This is why I love God. You you can't say, "I, I, I don't understand. He makes it pretty clear. Torment, day and night. Torment rising forever and ever and ever. You know how long forever is? It's forever. And for those people who say, well, I don't know. I don't believe there's a hell. You don't have to believe it, but it's there. And God's cry to humanity, not just then, but now, is to just follow and accept him. And you and I, we all know people in our, our world and in our relationship and our families that maybe choose not to. And it's not, I'm not asking you to go and, and you know, that you've got to stand up in your workplace and start screaming out the gospel. It may not be appropriate. But I am asking you that if God is willing to go through all of that, raise up 144,000 Jewish people, to send angels flying around talking about the fact that, you know what, to proclaim the gospel, going to places we, can, we don't even know probably exist, and you spend two minutes to have a cup of coffee with a friend of yours and say, hey, I got something I want to share with you. Let them decide what they want to do. Can you spend one evening inviting a friend over to the house for dinner and say, look, you know what, I know you've been, I haven't been spending much time with you, but here's why. I've, I've, I've been engaged in God's word. I, I, I really feel like he's called me to share this with you. And you know what, if you don't accept it, that's great. We can still hang out. We can still be friends. But... I just got to let you know how much God loves you because he let me know how much he loves me. And I know it's great that we can sit and we watch as the younger generation, not this is the younger generation, but turns their back on God and doesn't acknowledge his presence. And it's not their fault. We allowed it to happen. We're the ones who, you know, took it out of the school and stopped telling them about it. But how hard is it to sit and have a a, a conversation with your children, no matter what age they are, they're still your children, and say, hey, you know what? I, I I can't tell you how to live your life. But I can definitely tell you that God loves you. And there's probably some things in your life that he's not proud of. And maybe you should spend some time talking to him about them. That's that's a quick conversation. I had that conversation with a relative just a couple of days ago. I can't tell you how to live your life, but I can tell you that God loves you, and there's probably some things in your life that he's not proud of. And maybe you should spend some time talking to him about it. Not to me, because I'm not perfect. I don't want you to live your life for me or like me. I make mistakes. 
but spend some time talking to him. And leave the door open for them to re-engage you if those, they so desire. I was going to go on, but I'm going to ask you to bow your heads because I'm going to close this out with a word of prayer and, uh, and we'll be done. God, we know that there are people that you have put into our life for a reason. We know that there are family members and friends and uh, people who uh, we work with or, or people we just know from our community. And for days or weeks or months or maybe even years, all we've ever said is, hello, how are you? And maybe we didn't even hang around to hear their answer. But God, we also know that they are people who need to hear how much you love them. We know that they are people who need to know that there is a very real God who exists, who answers prayer, who still provides healing, who still responds to the voice of his people. And God, we ask you right now in this moment to put it on our hearts to show us who those people are. Whether it be a neighbor, whether it be a family member that we need to call, whether it be someone who we haven't spoken to in years and maybe via Facebook or mail or email or something, we get back in contact with them and we're just like amazed at how that happened. And Maybe it happened because you want us to share about your love. God, I pray that you would put on our hearts just one person. If there's more and more, but just one person who over the next coming days and weeks, we could have the conversation that says, you know what, I'm not trying to press my views upon you. I'm not trying to take away and say what you believe is wrong. But I really need to let you know how much God loves me and how much God loves you. God, give us that person. Give us that name. Reveal it to our hearts. God, we thank you for allowing us to gather in the time that you give us, and, and we pray that we would not be, we would not be, or cease to be, Lord, allow us to cease to be the generation that doesn't tell the next generation who you are. God, impress upon us how important it is to share with our children and their children the reality of your existence and the love that we can have through the new life that you give us through your son Jesus Christ. God, don't make us into a church or a people or a community that's judgmental, that looks at ourselves higher than others as better than others. But make us into a people who are burdened by the love of Christ and desperately desire to share it with those around us. Let that be our prayer this week, Lord. And we thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys again, and uh, pray that you have an awesome week, and uh, definitely keep that prayer in mind and ask God to show you who you can share knowledge of his existence with this week and see you all next week.